as an outward expression of what Jesus is doing internally to us and also endearing ourselves to the rest of our church family as well. And so when we do that with a group of people, most of us, our families are there or people that we love or church, church communities, we're not usually alone, right? Um, when we're being baptized, we're basically declaring, this is what's happened, this is what's transpired in my life. I've believed in Jesus, I've joined him in his death, and now I'm coming, when I come out of the water, I'm joining in his life, his resurrection life. Now, baptism of the Holy Spirit, that is basically a, a recognition to Jesus and a desire and a heart that's met by saying, Lord, if, if you say for the disciples to wait for the empowering of the Holy Spirit to come, that they would be the, your witnesses and receive power, that that's literally the Holy Spirit was the ingredient for that to take place. And if, if, if it was important for them, it's important to us as well. Because the, the Holy Spirit and the outworking of our Christian lives is only done with the Holy Spirit. If we don't have the Holy Spirit in what we're doing, then essentially our, our Christian lives pretty much get reduced down to like moralism and good behavior and ritual. The Holy Spirit is the empowering force that allows us to actually live out our lives like Christ did on this earth. And what we read about in the first church, which is in Acts, where people received healing, like what Josh is talking about. People were bold. They were courageous. And, you know, for the disciples who had walked with Jesus, there was lots of up and down moments in their lives with Jesus. And there was a difference between kind of being alive to to who Jesus is and actually believing and being alive in Christ. And so what does that look like? It's like with Peter, ups and downs, and then when the Holy Spirit comes, he stands up with the whole twelve and gives an explanation of the event that has just happened. Previously, he was saying to Jesus, like, you're not going to be crucified? Like, what are you talking about? And Jesus rebukes him. He says, get behind me, Satan. You have the things of man in your mind, not the things of God. And so, someone who was completely missing the mark, having great moments and really low moments, even denying Christ at times, all of a sudden, filled and empowered by the Holy Spirit, and you see this man who was an equal among twelve stand up and actually give an explanation of the event that had just transpired in Jerusalem. So who does the baptism in the Holy Spirit? It's Jesus. Jesus is the one who said to the disciples, wait until the gift from the Father is delivered to you in Jerusalem. Then even throughout Acts, which I can give you scripture references in, in a little while, just... Um, I forgot to write it down. But there's multiple instances in Acts when believers are filled with the Holy Spirit. And it's really, really fascinating because it's not the same. It's just like multiple people who are blind in the Gospels were healed, but Jesus never did it the same way. God's really creative, and He knows what's going on in all of our hearts and minds. And so a lot of times He does things in different ways. It's the same outcome. They're, they were filled with the Holy Spirit. It's the same outcome. They were empowered by Him and those kind of things. But done in different ways depending on who was around them. So for example, with like the Gentiles, when they received the Holy Spirit, there wasn't any laying on of hands. There was speaking about what Christ had done and the Holy Spirit filled the room and fell upon them and they received the Holy Spirit the same way as the disciples were in the upper room. So there's no laying on of hands. It was this hand of God moment. It's like, actually, I'm just going to show for the Jews that are in that place that think that maybe this doesn't extend towards the Gentiles, that I am in this. And what does that do? It's really powerful because then if you have a problem with who's receiving the Holy Spirit, it's not your problem does not lie with the person who laid hands on them and received the Holy Spirit. Your problem is then with God because He's the one doing it. 
And so the the, uh, the crux of it is this, is that Jesus is the one who delivers the Holy Spirit. That's why he says, it's better that I should go that you would receive the Holy Spirit. And for in your own reading, John 14 to 16, he talks explicitly about the work of the Holy Spirit as a comforter, as a convictor, as one who would remind us of everything that Jesus had ever done and said. And that's why, um, if anything, it's actually should be a desire of every believer's heart to be filled with the Holy Spirit and baptized in the Holy Spirit, that we would be as witnesses. And we also see in Acts that it wasn't just a once-off event. There were people who it's like, so in Acts 5, right after Peter and John healed uh, the lame man who was lame for 40 years, and then they were brought before the religious leaders, and they said, in what name did you do this? Like, what authority do you have? And they said it was in the name of Jesus. And then when they came back, because they had no... They had no they couldn't um, kind of refute what was happening. The man who was healed, who had been lame for 40 years, was standing right there, right? And so it says they were greatly annoyed. And what happened was, as Peter and um, John went back to the rest of the believers and shared about what had happened, they didn't pray that those hard times would go away. They actually prayed that God would give them um, like more opportunities and boldness and then it says as they're all in that place the Holy Spirit came upon them again and shook the whole room and so there's this this kind of continual infilling there's actually no limit to the Holy Spirit so you can never have too much of the Holy Spirit and just let me clarify that the Holy Spirit is one of the three persons of the Trinity and so in the beginning it was the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And they were there all through creation. In Acts 1, you have the Father mentioned. You have Jesus speaking of the Father's gift. And then you have the Holy Spirit delivered. And it's like, they are one God. Multiple purposes in that. But all bringing glory to the Father that is in heaven. And so when the Bible talks about like quenching the Holy Spirit and those kind of things, it, it's literally talking about we don't make light of the Holy Spirit. Sometimes it's really easy to, to love Jesus, not to show about Father God, and then completely neglect the Holy Spirit or whatever way that you, you know, might perceive those based on experiences sometimes and all those kind of things. But as three equal parts of the Trinity... They're all very, very important. So the Holy Spirit reminds us of everything that Jesus has done and said. It empowers us to be His witnesses and to walk out in obedience things that would bring glory to the Father. And Jesus lived His entire life bringing glory to His Father on the throne. So they're all really integral parts. I'm talking a lot now and we're talking about different things, but all of the topics, they're really, really large, and they fall into other areas of scripture and theology and those kind of things. And so um, that's why it's good to probably have a bit of more of a discussion and dialogue. So if there's like really specific questions, then we can look at scriptures together and go through those things. So they, uh, yeah. Is, is there any questions? I'll leave some space. But. Is there like a moment where you receive the Holy Spirit? Like when you become a Christian, is there like a, a baptism event that before you didn't have the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit lands on you, and then you do? Because like one of my Christian friends says, oh, have you been baptized with the Holy Spirit? I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. I don't remember if they had a certain event. But. Yeah, so, uh, so there's the infilling of the Spirit mm. when believers are saved. And so... Jesus says, like, you know, I'm going to tear down this temple and raise it up in three days. I'm going to make my home inside of you. And that's literally like the Holy Spirit living inside of you and the infilling of the Holy Spirit. But there are, there's 
the baptism moment is the empowering of the Holy Spirit that comes upon you, usually for specific things that are happening, like in advance of you. And that can happen multiple times. The empowering of the Holy Spirit. Continued relationship empowering the Holy Spirit. And I, I guess the easiest way to put it is it's, it's, it's not to think about it like a one-off event, but rather... You know, even our relationship with Christ, it's just, it is just that. It's a relationship with our Savior. The, the, your relationship with the Holy Spirit is a relationship. And so, like, you can be mindful of the Holy Spirit in every single day of your life. It's not reserved for special times like in church or those kind of things. Um, and then also, you know that, like, we are promised that He'll never leave us or forsake us. Um, and so with the Holy Spirit coming upon you and empowering you for specific things, sometimes we might be guided by the Holy Spirit in specific events in our life where it's like, or he's preparing you for something that is just about to come. Um, but from, from the first instance, we see believers speaking in tongues and that's like actual tongues of, um, like languages of the different people that were in Jerusalem where there's a spiritual tongue that we can have because the Holy Spirit lives inside of us which is more of an edification for our own souls and so sometimes we look at baptism the Holy Spirit on the, as the component of that second speaking in tongues which is more for our own edification it's not actually for anyone else where in Acts 2 when they were filled by the Spirit and started speaking in tongues, that was like a natural language where they were speaking of the glories of God in all of the people who was there that were from all over that area in their natural language. And then they could understand, wow, we're hearing these guys talk about the glories of God in our own language. How can that be? And so it's, I mean, it's getting a bit on from what you're asking about, but I think it's just good to to be thinking about it that way in the sense of, you know, it's not just this like one-off one off event. It's just like when we invite Jesus to be Lord and Savior of our life, you know, that is not something that we have to continue to do, but the process of sanctification is ongoing in your life, which is you're becoming more like Jesus day and day and day and day, and the Holy Spirit is a really important component of that. Um, and so I think to reduce it down to just speaking in tongues, that's an awesome thing. It, there's no doubt about it, but it's much bigger than that. Because literally, you're being invited into a relationship with God in one that you can commune every day, much like Adam and Eve did in the garden, when there was no sin and no separation. And that's a big deal. It's a really big deal. Do you guys know much about like the high priests and what they did in the temple? So one day a year, there was one high priest who go into the inner room where the presence of God was. Just one, one person. And he had a rope around his ankle. Because if he took any sin in there, and he met with the presence of God, he would die. And they would have to pull him out. <laughs> it's crazy, right? But like, I think sometimes we don't think about that when we think about, we have access to the presence and the person of God every single day. When Jesus died and that curtain was split from top to bottom, which is a really important detail because it means that no man could split that curtain. It was split from the, the top. And if you see those curtains, they're like stories high. It's crazy. That was the, the thing that separated the presence of God from all people. And only one person was able to access that. We had to have Jesus to come to tear that, to tear that curtain down. And by His blood... The perfect sacrifice of Jesus Christ. That's why we now have access to the presence of God. And so, 
I guess it's just it's important to go through those things and just remind ourselves because sometimes I think we kind of take it for granted this beautiful faith that we have and access to the Most High God that will help us in every area of our lives. It's not reserved for a Sunday or a youth night or it's like to take into our workplaces, into our families, into our marriages when you get older and get married and those kind of things or if you already are. It's, um, it's a thing you bring into your relationship. He's the helper. He will help you live like Christ lived on this earth. It's not possible to be the Savior. Christ did that for us already. But we can live how He lived on this earth. And that's a beautiful thing. And so we can't, we can't, getting back to your question, there's a bit of tangents there, but... Uh, often in kind of Pentecostal movements and those kind of things, we're looking for these moments, these really special moments, right? And it's it's um, like I spoke to uh, my wife Candace and I. We spoke to the young adults um, a couple of weeks ago, and we're just like, you know, we didn't live together before we were married and those kind of things, and our dating was like exciting because we loved each other, we got to see each other, and I was like always like a special kind of moment but then we go back to our kind of separate homes and have work and all that kind of stuff and um and then when you get married it's completely different because you're with each other all the time and so instead of this kind of like event driven relationship it's it's this ongoing like slow burning beautiful relationship because you really get to know that person kind of inside and out on every single level like emotionally, physically, all those kind of things. It's like the most beautiful. And that's why, like, in Scripture, the metaphor of a husband and a wife is used for Christ and His bride. And so sometimes we're approaching our relationship with the Holy Spirit and Christ and those kind of things in this kind of same event dating mentality where it's like, oh, I'm super pumped for Saturday or Sunday or, or youth group or those kind of things. And then you go back to your separate life. And you might think about God a little bit and stuff like that, but it's not like you're like living in the same house. It's not like you're, you know, that it, your relationship takes a different, a, a different um, tone's not the right word, but it just it's just different, right? But that's when you start to really get to know somebody. And um, if there's anything, I just encourage you guys to. View your relationship with God like that. It's like every day I have the opportunity to spend time with the God who created the heavens and the earth. That's who, that's who you put your faith in when you put your faith in Jesus. It wasn't like, oh, I think this is a good thing. Uh, it wasn't about the benefits of the relationship you get with Him. It's about the person person of the Holy Spirit, the person of Jesus Christ, the person of our pure and perfect Father in Heaven. That's why Jesus had to come. He had to come and die for us because there was nothing else that could take the place of Him on the cross where all sin would be dealt with once and for all. And then, boom. He says, Jesus. Jesus says, hey, wait, the Holy Spirit's going to come. It's better. So where God had manifested himself in Jesus, fully God, fully man on the earth, in the Hebrews 1 it says that, I've spoken these last days through my son, who's, who is the exact representation of who I am. So that was Jesus on the earth, the exact representation. He never destroyed the law. He said he fulfilled the law in every single way. And he had to because we needed a perfect sacrifice for us today, over 2,000 years later, to receive him and then walk in relationship with him. And what that did was it allowed us to go into the holies of holies and commune with God without dying. big deal, right? 
And we might like to think, well, how would that be fair? Why would God kill us? <laughs> no, He's not. It's what's inside of you is what kills you. The sin that is in your heart is what would kill you if you're in the presence of God without Jesus. The perfect sacrifice. And so, you know, we can talk about baptism and baptism of the Holy Spirit and those kind of things, but ultimately at the end of the day, if if we're not kind of viewing our relationship or even our salvation in that way with absolute reverence to God for it, we will we will live ineffective lives. We might get a good job and buy a home and have, you know, beautiful life for a husband, lots of kids and all those kind of things. All of those things are great things. God has provided and made way for all of those kind of things. But part of the reason why I think this is happening is that we have a strong foundation for the purposes and plans of God in our life. And I guess what I'm saying to you all today is those will not transpire if you're not walking with the Holy Spirit on a daily basis. So, yeah, it's pretty important. (laughs) That was a great question. Any other questions? This is best to think about how Jesus lived his life. He had discussions with his disciples all the time. Is that the timer? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I have any like tangent tangent from what you were talking about. Yeah. With like uh, tongues and stuff. Yep. And so I've always wondered like what's the difference between doing like tongues in private and in public and is there like time where it's appropriate and appropriate yeah so um, so there are so there's like if, if it's if no it, well it is and it isn't so it's relevant at any time in, in private so like if you're talking about like tongues that are edifying to yourself to your soul and you're kind of communing with God in a very specific way in the language that he gives you to commune with him that's very edifying so like we feel uplifted we, you know if you're feeling down those kind of things speak in tongues and your whole posture will change you're, you're essentially you're speaking to God and you're aligning yourself with him in a way that um, that can only kind of happen with tongues in many ways, you know, it's an awesome resource and tool, and I think we should all probably do it more, to be honest. But um, when you're talking about, I guess let's clarify, when you're talking about publicly, are you talking about like standing in the front or in a meeting and like declaring publicly so everyone can hear what you're saying, or or are you talking about a different? I was thinking about like say I was like having a meeting, yeah, and like someone is speaking in tongues. Which is so everyone can hear it. Yeah, so everyone can hear it. So it's like technically to yourself between you and God, but it's also in a group, like, in a way. Yeah, so I, I think we do that as believers often. We speak in tongues and other people can hear us. But if it's, um, if it's like a tongue where kind of you're speaking out and it's like um, God's kind of speaking through you to a whole group of people, then the Bible's pretty clear that there will be an interpretation that will be given for that, and that's kind of the natural ordered way of service. But if you're saying, like, we're, say, for example, we're going to go out and pray for people in Balaclava, and we're standing around and we're praying, and there's some people praying in tongues while we're praying for what we're about to be doing, then that wouldn't be that same kind of tongue. Does that make sense? Yeah. Is that kind of what you're yeah, asking? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So there are tongues though, like, so if that's what you're asking, there are tongues where they might come through a meeting and it's like, you know, someone is just compelled by God to speak out in a tongue and like Paul's pretty clear that there will be a translation for that and an interpretation of that tongue. And usually that will be for a specific person. Uh, Or if it's actually like Acts 2, it will be in that person's native tongue. 
But then Paul says it's not benefit for like, so if I'm preaching, whatever, it's not beneficial for the whole church for me to just be standing up there with a microphone speaking in tongues. Because I'm really just having a selfish moment. Right? Um, and, and that's actually not really helpful for unbelievers that come in. What's much more helpful for unbelievers is to ask God for him to give you a prophetic word for that person. Because then scripture says that that person will know that God is in this place because you're revealing something about them that God has revealed to you. And um, Paul says that they'll fall on the knees and become a, a Christian, which is pretty sweet. Yeah. Yeah. Any good question? Is it good? It's good to kind of demystify some of this stuff because sometimes we're like, oh, I think I have an idea about it. But then what happens is if there's any kind of ambiguity or gray, and I'm not saying I have all the answers, if I don't know something, we'll look in the word together and we'll find out an answer. But if there is any ambiguity, then often what happens is you just won't operate in that thing or you won't try it or those kind of things. And it's like, uh, it gets kind of put in the too hard basket where like, God's like, actually, I've made all these things available to you. Like, let's be utilizing these things. But that being said, there's also not like a, just a quick shortcut. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's not like, I'm just going to take this formula and apply it to this thing and I'm going to see great results. It's like, it's again, it's relational. So, any other questions? Keep them coming. It's good. I like it. I mean, I think, so the number one thing for me would be, so again, it's not, you're not saved because you're baptized, but um, it's a, it's like another confession. So if you confess with your mouth, you shall be saved. Um, baptism in front, of, in front of believers and family and those kind of things is like another confession. And it's actually an endearing to that family that you're a part of, like church family. And so... How I receive that is, um, like, our last bit, baptism, I think we had, like, four young adults and then, a, like, a, a little girl from kids' ministry get baptized. And what what's that doing is they're confessing their belief and, and um, kind of some of their salvations were pretty dramatic. And so when they're sharing their story about how they came to know Jesus and then being baptized in front of our church family, our church family is then endeared to that person. And we're like, actually, we want to we saddle up to these guys and help them walk this out because the Christian life is not always easy. So I, I would say that would be the number one benefit is actually um, it's like the, the corporate ownership of the church family. This, like, I'll give you a very practical example. In Indonesia, I went there in 2009. I'd love to go back sometime. It's a long time now, but... Um, I was meeting, so there, there was churches that popped up in places over there. Literally, they would just go, like, one person feel like God, he felt like God had called him to go to a specific city. He was the only person that would go, didn't know anyone there, and he would literally just sit at universities all day long and speak to people about Jesus, right? And we'd, we went to his church. There was, like, I don't know, the night that we were there, there was, like, 20 groups throughout the city all with like 10 to 20 people that have all been saved into that church family, right? Like amazing, just seeing God move. But from a very practical baptism sense, once a Muslim's baptized in the Christian faith, their family would often cut them off, like financially and everything. And so for the church to share the gospel and then baptize that person, they were often taking that place of that person's family, Muslim family, in provision of housing, funds, university, all those kind of things. Like, that is massive. And that really hit me because sometimes, like, you know, I'm like, oh, uh, discipleship's going to look really messy. Or, <laughs> you know, like, uh, 
it's not going to be super convenient to be doing that. And imagine someone losing their house and then having to live in your house with you. And yet that was what those people were saying. Yes, absolutely. Like, we're happy to do that. So that would be a very practical benefit, just the interior of family. Um, taking, taking people along, not from just like one or two, but a whole community, like what we read about in Acts, together in the faith. It's like they're standing in the gap. Yeah. Yeah, that's it. Yeah. Good question. I had one of the um, younger girls in our small group before say that she grew up in the Catholic school system and she got baptized just because she wanted to have the um, wine and the bread. Um, yeah. And she was talking about how she would, would like to get baptized again, but wasn't sure about that. And I don't know if she's going to come back in with this one or not. So, okay. If you want to yeah. Yeah, well, it's good. Uh, um, so this is like a little thing that we actually put together because quite a few people are getting baptized. Um, just so in from a Christian perspective, we believe in like full immersion baptism. So real, like fully being covered by the water to rep- represent our death with Christ and fully coming out and um, but even like a um, a lady in our church who had been baptized in her 40s or so had been baptized you know maybe 15 years ago she was just recently rebaptized. she felt like it wasn't an authentic decision from her point of view to make that outward expression of faith and so she has done that again now so yeah absolutely I think it's it's great um, there are those limitations with certain um, like with Catholicism and those kind of things where you literally cannot take communion without being sprinkled with some water and those kind of things um, but yeah so um, in Acts 8.30 with Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch he talks about going down into water and then Matthew 3.16 coming up out of the water as well so there's this kind of, kind of going down and fully coming out rather than just like a sprinkle and so I think that's like a very admirable thing to want to do if that's a sincere um, thing that she's wanting to. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I was baptized when I was seven, but I would say I'll probably speak a little bit more about my own story tonight. But um, when I was 19, I like fully came into faith with just Jesus drawing and pursuing me over a long period of time. Um, and I haven't been rebaptized. And um, I, I probably won't because I've, I actually feel it was a genuine decision in my heart at that time. But um, just like John prepared the way and baptized people, not all of them followed Jesus after Jesus came. And, um, and in Acts it starts talking about that a little bit more in the sense of yeah, there were there were believers who, or people who followed John. They said, "I received the baptism of John," and then the apostles saying, "Well, now receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit, just from Jesus." So, is that kind of answering your question? I mean, yeah, I think it would be great for her to be baptized. Again, it's a, a public endearing to the family again as well, and just the confession of her faith, and so that's always going to be uplifting to the whole community. It's always going to be. Um, of benefit to her as well. So when you say now, when you get baptized, is it of the Holy Spirit as well, or like? Well, so we certainly pray for the Holy Spirit to come upon the person who's being baptized. Absolutely, yeah. So, um, but they are distinguished as two separate baptisms in Scripture. Um, so yeah it's not the same thing but you can pray for the Holy Spirit to come upon the believer as they're baptized in water coming out Um, but it is it's interesting because it is a specific kind of mention (laughs) but it's what Jesus does so like if I take someone down to the beach and baptize them as an outward expression of faith they're basically saying in Christ I have become a believer and I'm a part of this family 
That's different than asking than that person asking Jesus to baptize them in the Holy Spirit. Because it has nothing to do with me or anyone else who's baptizing them. It's about them actually going to Jesus and saying, you're the giver of this gift and you can baptize me. Now I, as a, as a brother, I can come alongside them and pray with them for that to happen. But it has nothing to do with me specifically. I know that God will honor his word and what he does. Um, but I'm not trying, I don't want to confuse anything, but is that, is that helpful or is that confusing? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, so I, I mean some of some of the baseline things that we have kind of so as an eldership team primarily led by a couple of our others, we put this thing together um, on baptism and being united with Christ, and which outlines kind of all the fundamentals and scripture. And I have a few extras in my car if anyone wants to kind of take it and look at it and those kind of things. Um, but I would, I would, yeah, if anyone's not baptized in water, I would say, yeah, absolutely get baptized with water. If you're not baptized in the Holy Spirit, or if you haven't had that, or even if you have, I'd say let's, as a community of believers, let's ask God to come and empower us with His boldness um, to be His witnesses wherever we go in this place. And that's something that we can even pray maybe together as, um, as we finish up today after any more questions and stuff together, just asking just for Jesus' promise of the Holy Spirit to come and empower us. Um, why is it often that when someone is saved, they're not immediately baptized? Like, I'm not exactly sure where, but it like talks about how, I'm pretty sure it's in Acts, but somewhere how, you know, they believed and then they were baptized. Like, whether there was a gap, I'm not actually really sure, but I'm just wondering, like, yeah, yeah is there any reason that people wait? Is that, like, religious, or is it just, like, yeah. um, I think, well, so I'll, I'll speak about my son. Um, he's eight years old. He believes in Jesus, but he's, for some reason, not up for getting baptized in water yet. Mm. And, um... I would say that that is probably just a few more conversations, so I don't think he's, because he's already confessed his belief in Jesus, and I don't know if it's maybe just, um, maybe the delay is because of being in front of multiple people, or in water, or those kind of things that is causing the delay, but I know that his response has been authentic, and so, um, I think sometimes it really just comes to those things or like a uh, like a misunderstanding so because you don't have to be baptized to believe right it's it's not like a specific requirement but in Acts 1 or 2 that's actually where you're referencing um, it says in 38 it says and Peter said to them repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit for the promises for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. Mm. Um, and so it's, yeah, so there's, it's not expressed, like it doesn't explicitly say they waited a week to get baptized or those kind of things. And in, in many instances, people do like, I know, like great, great kind of, um, like evangelistic uh, kind of outreaches in Africa and those kind of things, a lot of times they bring like baptismal pools there. It's like people literally, they respond to Jesus and they're baptized and then they come out and they're, they're talked about the Holy Spirit and those kind of things. It's literally like this. And then, they, and then you know, people pray for them to be filled with the Holy Spirit and Jesus shows up and people are filled with the Holy Spirit and all those kind of things are happening. And so... 
yeah, I think it's sometimes maybe just a misunderstanding mm. of what they're actually doing. Um, and as, yeah, I think as communities of believers, um, when people are added to our church, like literally added, not, it's not like someone's just, like you know if someone's a part of your family or if they're not, right? Like even in just a natural way, we know if someone's a part of our family or they're not. Well, literally, when they believe in Jesus, they're becoming a part of our family. And um, Western culture has, gives us, has given us a lot of options in the way that we do things. And it's focused around individualism. And so, um, like, that is not what we have believed in. Individualism is not what we have believed in. When we say that Jesus, you're my Lord and Savior, He's taking the top. And we are subject to his direction and his will and those kind of things. But sometimes in Christianity today, it's very easy for people to, to add Jesus to their lives rather than submit themselves to Jesus. And so there's lots of things that can be transpiring. I mean, you can't speak to what any one individual is kind of thinking about when they maybe delay baptism or those kind of things. But... I'm just speaking in general terms because uh, there's probably lots of different circumstances that can yeah. apart from that. So do you get... Can you have the... Can non-believers have the Holy Spirit? Or like there's something in that verse you just read out that says, be baptized and you receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Um, does that mean you don't have the Holy Spirit until you believe or yeah, that works? Yep. Yeah. yeah. Look, the Holy Spirit is drawing people to them. But as far as like the infilling and like God making his home in you, that doesn't transpire until you're a believer. For sure. Yeah. So, um, yeah, this, yeah. So, and at the end of this, and so those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. So they did go on um, to be baptized, and there were added 3,000 souls, but, like, that's, that's a lot of people added, right, <laughs> in one day. So they were, like, genuinely believers. Um, and then the next scripture, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and their fellowship to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And I love this part. And all came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. So that that is describing what takes place when the Holy Spirit comes. And believers are added into a community. And so it's, yeah, it's, which makes it pretty interesting because then it's pretty easy to see when things aren't happening in those ways, <laughs> right? And you're like, oh no, like, ooh, ooh. Um, there's, you know, there's something else at work here. Yeah. Um, but yeah, the Holy Spirit's definitely... So people can feel the presence of God. There's no doubt about that. But the receiving of His presence only happens after their faith in Christ and repentance of sin. Because remember, Christ makes the way for us to have a relationship with Him. So that's like... That's kind of the required step. Really. <laughs> yeah. And it's interesting with the disciples, so um, because this often these kind of things are what people think about later on in time and those kind of things. There was almost like a borrowed power from Jesus when they went out, when Jesus sent out the twelve, and then the seventy-two in the Gospels. He sent them out in His power and His name, and they saw the same things that Jesus was doing happen through their own lives, right? But the Holy Spirit hadn't come at that time yet. But then when Jesus goes and then the Holy Spirit comes and is distributed to all people who would believe, then 
the church grows massively. There's like 3,000 were added, 5,000 were added, all these kind of things. It's because not only does the Holy Spirit give us those, um, give us the outward manifestation of what He does, He transforms us inwardly. And when we're transformed from the inside out, then we relate to one another differently. And so sometimes the biggest sign and wonder of the whole church is unity. Because how, like, it's amazing to me, I think, on a, like, at our church, there's so many different people from different walks of life and those kind of things. How is it that all these people are gathered in one place? But by God. If we all look the same and we're working in similar ways and all that kind of stuff, then it would be quite simple. It, it would, we would be able to say, oh, yeah, like, man could do this, right? Man could gather this. But when God pours out a spirit, like, what had been prophesied in Acts 2.17, as Peter is describing what happened at Pentecost, Pentecost, he says, in the last days it shall be God, declares that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh, and your sons and daughters shall prophesy, your young men shall see visions, your old men shall dream dreams. Even on my male servants and female servants in those days I will pour out my spirit, and they shall prophesy, and I will show wonders in the heavens above, and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. Um, so there's no distinguishing between um, status in life, between gender, between age, all those kind of things. But there's still only one entry point into that, and that's Jesus.